welcome to More Games and Time. I'm Lee. I'm Roger. And we've still got more games and time. We've been playing some games, which we're going to talk about in a moment. And later on, we've got a discussion for you about not playing games. Should we worry about this? Spoiler. Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) It's all healthy. It's all good. I've played, well, actually the first game we've been asked to look at. Uh, so I, I suppose a disclaimer applies. Um, Absolutely, yeah. The designer got in touch with us and said, you know, would, would we please take a look at this and consider talking about it on the show? Mm. Um, and you've played it and I haven't, so I, yeah. I've been waiting to hear your... Well, I should say that this is not quite the standard review copy situation because, um, in fact, what he's pointed us to is a tabletop simulator mod, which is public. Right, OK. Uh, so any, anybody who likes the sound of this and wants to try it, you know, you can try it on there. I think it's also on mm-hmm. Tabletopia. Uh, there is an active Kickstarter as, as we write. I think it finishes at the end of the month or thereabouts. So right. anyway, what I'm talking about is World Breakers Advent of the Carnate. Mm-hmm. And... This is a multiplayer and a solo game, but I'm going to talk about the multiplayer first because I think that that's where its real heart is. Um, right, okay. And it's very, it's a dueling game, very much in the Magic: The Gathering tradition. I don't know. Did you ever play much Magic? Uh, or uh, yes, other um, tw- twenty twenty five years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, probably probably played it quite a bit within the. Sort of, Year or two of it coming out in the mid nineties, but it was a long time ago. Yeah, so I similarly played quite a bit in the early days, but not much after that. Um, yeah, I, I do enjoy in, in more modern games, uh, Ashes Rise of the Phoenix Born. Mm-hmm. Um, so that became a bit of a reference point for me. Um, but yeah. basically, lo- like all two-player deck construction games in the wake of Magic, mm-hmm. it, it has a way of dealing with the hand of land versus the hand of spells problem. Right. Uh, you know, as in you might have either lots of power and nothing to do with it yeah. or lots of things you can spend power on and no actual power. Um, yeah. So what, what you get here, uh, mechanically speaking is, is three sorts of card, uh, events, mm-hmm. which are a one-off thing. Yeah. Followers who are basically the, your, your creatures, they, they might, they might have some special effects, but basically what they give yeah. you is some level of attack and defence, so you can send them out. So they're the, the ones that game. you put down on the table in front of you and have an ongoing round-to-round benefit. Yeah, though the, the other, the third type of card is also, uh, that, because mm-hmm. they are the locations. And mm-hmm. what they have is two or three or maybe four, uh, bands on them which you can develop as an action. Right. To get some okay. sort of bonus. Well, we're talking about this in a very abstract sense, Roger. What's the the theme or the setting? Well, yeah, that that's the thing. It it, it does have an interesting theme, but it, it's um, I'm not completely sure that the theme is fully re- reflected in the game. Um, but the basic right. idea is it, it's 13th century um, Mongolia, that that part mm-hmm. of the world in general. I mean, you you can play as Marco Polo. That's one one of the characters in here. Right. Um, but there is also definitely magic going on. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the world breakers are in some way people who have a special power to use. I'm sorry, I've got, got to call it this. This is what they call it in the game. Mythium, which is <laughs> ba- basically your magic, your, um, magical power rating, 
uh, you, you, you right. gather it up, you spend it on stuff. Um, yeah. and, and you're, you're trying, uh, unlike, uh, say magic, you're trying to build up your own power rather than knock down the opposition's hit points, but basically mm-hmm. you're trying to get your number to the end of the track before he gets his to the end of the track and it works. Uh, right. Um, That's, that seems so strange to me that they'd go the, the sort of the, the fantasy medieval Mongolian route without having any sort of basis of actual Mongolian shamanism, which is fairly well studied. Well, it, I, I haven't played every card in the game, and maybe it's in there, but certainly yeah. the impression I've got so far is, you know, they, they've got cultural consultants. Um, right, okay. But everything has uh, to... Yeah, I mean, that's that's sort of a... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an unfair criticism in that it is something I've studied professionally and sure. um, and you haven't, and I'm hearing things <laughs> third-hand through you, so... Well, yeah, I'm, I should also say that they, they have people who are experts in Mongolian culture as, as part of their consultancy groups, so mm-hmm. they may well be stuff in there that I haven't found yet. I'm not claiming I've had a deep exploration yeah. of this game. Yeah, OK. Um, no, the art is lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is decently multicultural. It is generally non-exploitative. Um, you know, more please. Um, Good. The feeling I get, at least as I say, what I've played so far, is that mm. you could have given this game a different theme and it would have been broadly the same game. I don't feel right. as any card that is called X and that mm. has the powers it has specifically because that's what X had in, in reality. Yeah. Or because it's what somebody's myth had about X. Or, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's... For me, thematic disconnect is a problem. I think we've talked about it before. Um, yeah, but, I mean, there's, there's an argument that that would make you the perfect person to... To test this and to see whether it's more, you know, but whether it's more setting than theme. Well, yeah. On the other hand, for a lot of people, it clearly isn't a problem. I mean, your, your classic mm. abstract euro that is about, yeah, yeah, the I mean, world or whatever. Yeah, I, I think some something can. It, it doesn't have to be a problem for people, but they can. You, you, there's still a difference, as we say, between setting and theme. Yeah. Which might be a good um, <laughs> good discussion topic mm. at some point in the future. So, I mean, you, you've got these ideas, and it, and it says in the rule book, you know, you, the power represents your control of Mythium through conquest, political favours, intrigue, trade, or any other means. Mm. But they all basically resolved that through these same mechanical channels of events, follows, and locations. Mm. Uh, so, developing a location takes an action. Playing a location mm-hmm. also takes an action, and. After each of your actions, the opponent will get one. Right. So, the obvious thing you, you might say is, I will play this location this turn, and then the opponent will do something, then, then I will develop it. But mm-hmm. if the opponent attacks, and you fail to stop all of that attack, then the opponent gets to damage one of your locations. In other words, to cross off one of those um, develop bands without right. you getting the benefit of it. Okay. Yeah, so the locations are effectively a, a reservoir that you put down that becomes vulnerable when you put it on the table, and then you gradually drain. Mm-hmm. Though obviously, you know, there, there are some powers that say you can uh, place and then develop an, a location in the same turn, and that's very useful, but mm. that in turn becomes a target. Um, so, yeah, alternating single action turns, you have uh, four in a round, and then whoever played last in round one plays first in round two. Yeah. So you get, you get a bit of a rhythm going on that. Um, and at the end of the round, you get a phase with victory check and all that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, get get a bit more resources, whether or not you dedicated an action to it. 
so two player i played with uh nick of the one player guild whom i think you met at expo a few years ago um he played a lot of magic back in the day mm-hmm. and this turned out to be extremely helpful because um he he was spotting parallels that i that i didn't um, no, yeah he, he I, I i don't want to say it's derivative because uh, I don't think it is, but but he saw, he he was spotting the parallels and thinking, yes, you know, magic does this, and this game is trying to fix it in this particular way. Uh, I mean, it, I it is certainly yeah, to, inspired to, by, put it that way. Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, that that's just what magic is to deck construction. The same as if you have a deck builder, it's always going to be compared to Dominion. Mm. And a, a co-op game is always compared to Pandemic. Yeah, um, there's no, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just the language that we understand things from, because that's where we've come from. That said, I think this is this is closer to magic in terms of the gameplay than, say, Ashes or right. other games. I'll come back to. Um, mm-hmm. That said, it's good fun. The rules are reasonably streamlined. Uh, mm-hmm. The rulebook is a bit rough at this point. I, everything that I'm going to mention here, I have told them about, and I presume they will fix it. So. Yeah, and that's the advantage of something at the moment that isn't fully published. You know, the rule books can be rough at this point. Yeah, um, yeah. The term breach shows up on cards. You know, when you when this card breaches, do something or other, and it's not defined in the rule book exactly what that is. You can work right. it out. Is there a yeah. hand limit? We don't know. Um, <laughs> the tabletop simulator art and the rule book differ on whether you draw a card before or after the victory check at the end of the round, and that matters, because right. if you draw a card and your deck is empty, the opponent gets a power point and, and mm-hmm. might thereby win. That, as I say, they may have fixed this by now. The the reason I mention it, really, is that this is a multi-person team with a rules coordinator, and they're saying, as Kickstarters always say, that the game is ready for print. So right. I would hope they'd get that right before I have to tell mm-hmm. them about it. But, yeah. mm-hmm. So going off to solo mode, it, it does have a built-in solo mode. Uh, mm-hmm. It is basically a bot and a campaign. So okay. have you have you played it or just read the? Rules? I have played solo mode. Uh, right, in fact, okay. I played it first. I was quite unimpressed by the first solo game, that, but then I mm-hmm. realised that it's it's really something of a tutorial level. You 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 are deliberately right. not worrying about certain things in order to mm-hmm. get the hang of the the rhythm of the card play. Yeah. Uh, that said, it is a bot opponent. Uh, it has a an action deck. Mm-hmm. Which starts very simply. All, all the cards are the same. You, they one, one turn you, it, it plays followers from the from its deck. The next turn mm-hmm. it attacks you with all the followers that are in play. Uh, as yeah. you progress through the solo campaign, uh, those cards can get replaced. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is definitely a series of scenarios. It is it is not a generic opponent. You you do have to use the specific uh, world breaker on yeah. your side and the specific opponent for each one. Uh, mm-hmm. at least in the ones I've played so far. Yeah. It feel, I mean, to learn the mechanics, it's a perfectly reasonable thing. I cannot see myself buying this game to play primarily solo. If I bought it to play two player, uh, I might well play solo sometimes as well. Okay. Uh, yeah, you, you have the equivalent of colours of mana, uh, with more experience, uh, they suggest you, you draft a deck of multiple colours. Mm-hmm. E- the the standard uh, deck setup is one color per for, for each of the four characters, and I suspect if you started drafting multicolors, that's where the where the dueling game would really come into its own. So you can divide design a deck for a particular strategy. Yeah, uh, but I certainly haven't dived anything like that deep yet. 
overall, I mean, Nick's the guy with whom I'd be playing this if I bought it at all, because my wife isn't a gamer. Uh, I don't yeah. play a lot of two-player games in general. Uh, mm-hmm. I have played with him uh, Ashes, we mentioned, Android mm-hmm. Netrunner, and Sakura Arms. Right. And I own two of those already, and they're in the, thr- mm-hmm. in the shops now, and Android Netrunner I don't, but you can get it with a bit of effort. I, I yeah. gather there are new cards being printed on a, on a non-profit basis and things like that. So... Right. It is competing with those uh, mm-hmm. for, for your money right now. I'm not sure it's stunningly better than those. And if mm-hmm. the theme grabs you, if the mechanics grab you, then absolutely go for it. It is not a bad thing. Um, yeah. I am less interested in this theme than in... Well, I don't know, Android Netrunner, I guess. Uh, the, the themes are not, not... None of the themes are really... Stunning for me. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a, a personal thing, obviously. And similarly, the art is good. I like the art a lot. I'm not, I don't think it's vastly better. The, the problem is basically it is competing with these other games. Yeah. And if I, if I have this particular itch to scratch, I can buy one of those other games and play it right now. Mm-hmm. As opposed to waiting for the Kickstarter. Yeah. That said, I mean, I hope those, it's got those legs. other ones, so. those other ones, I suppose, have don't have solo modes in them. Uh, uh, albeit you've said that you wouldn't buy it just for that anyway. Yes, that's true. Ashes has an unofficial solo bot. Uh, Netrunner, mm-hmm. I'm not aware of uh, anything on that, and it's an asymmetric yeah. game anyway. Uh, Sakura Arms has no solo that I've heard of. No. Um, yeah. Magic: so, The Gathering does have one or two solo missions they brought out, but again, it's not a core part of okay. it. So, if you, hmm, for me it would not be a compelling solo buy, um, but I'm, mm. I'm not sure the format really works for that anyway. Yeah. I mean, the, the fun of the two-player as... game is I've worked out this combination and my enemy works out this combination to counter it and so on. Yeah. And yeah. So a, it... you know, a bot can't do that and, and still be playable. So it's a dueling deck construction game. If the theme grabs you... Then go for it. If you prefer other themes, go for a different one. Yeah, it, is that it, really damning with faint praise? I don't know. <laughs> uh, the, the thing that I think is its its advantage o- over those others it is it's a smaller game and it's mechanically a lot more straightforward than any of those others. I suppose Wh- something while still else having worth... emergent complexity, so so that, you know you're not going to play everything and burn out on it, but at the same time yeah. you don't have to memorize three hundred cards. Something else that's worth mentioning um, or discussing. I don't know if you've spoken to, to the designer about this. Um, obviously, all the other deck construction games we've mentioned have a lot of expansions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a Kickstarter from a small publisher, I don't know how that would work. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm evaluating this as a box on its own. Yeah. Uh, I, I would assume that, that the designers are planning to produce expansions if, if it is successful. Mm. I mean, it's funded, obviously. Mm. Um, but I'm, I'm, yeah, t- talking about this as, as a core box, I mean, right, the, the new English edition of Sakura Arms is three boxes, each of which is a core box in itself. Um, you can get a core box of ashes with, I, th- uh, is it six, eight Phoenix Born in it that you can then mix and match. Yeah. Um, all, all of these are basically playable core boxes, and then, yeah, if you get into those others, there's other stuff you can buy, and that's not an option yet, but I suspect that by the time this is delivering, there will mm-hmm. be plans for expansions or not anyway. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, I don't love it, but 
it's, it's, I suspect that is more, this is not a sort of game I generally love and it has strong mm-hmm. competition than that it is in any way a bad game. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's fair enough. So that was, uh, uh, World, World Breakers? World Breakers Advent of the Carnate uh, by Ellie David Amir on Kickstarter now. Very good. Speaking of massive crowdfunding campaigns, hey. I've been playing a game that you and all of our listeners have heard of, Roger. Hero Quest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I imagine at some point in the dim or distant past you've played Hero Quest. Actually, no. Um, that's sort of yeah, as you say that, I remember we've had this, yeah, we've had this conversation before, haven't we? That you, you're one of those rare people that it bypassed. Um, yeah, basically, I, I, I was, that was the point in my role playing career when I was getting away from dungeon bashing and I wasn't really interested mm-hmm. in a dungeon bashing board game. Yeah. Which, I mean, and again, again, I guess I was prime, because I'm a couple of years younger than you, I guess I was a prime age range for it when it came out in 89. Um, and I played it a lot in those year or two, quickly moving on, I suppose, within that year or two gap to advanced tier request. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did play it a lot at that point. Um, since then, I reacquired the game in a trade four or five years ago, um, thinking that if I had kids, it would be something that I'd want to play with them. And at the time, obviously, it was massively expensive um, and I was offered a good trade for it. So I snapped it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I then found a simple applet on BGG, which I'm sure we can link to in the show notes for this, um, which enabled me to play the game solo. So I did, and it was a very simple, half-hour, not-really-taking-much-brain-power dungeon bash in mm-hmm. that guise. Um, and I mean really half an hour, because one of the things about Hero Quest, as opposed to all the modern dungeon crawlers, is... You fold the board out the box and you're ready to go. The setup is minimal. Half an hour would be enough to sit down, set it up, play the game and pack it away again. Yeah. And I think particularly in Silo, as we're going to come on to in, in the uh, longer chat, that that is a, a big psychological consideration. Absolutely. Yeah, what, what is the gap between Absolutely. I so want it, to play this and I am playing this? Yeah. So I think yeah, for that reason, um, it wasn't a game I particularly thought that I would enjoy soloing. It, it is a simple game. Um, but it did fill a niche for me that didn't really exist elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, strangely, I just said I was the perfect age for that when it came out. So I've been playing the the new version. Um, a friend of mine that lives locally um, has come over. He, he, I'm not sure if he backed it on... Uh, it wasn't Kickstarter. It was Hasbro's own crowdfunding platform. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if he backed it on that or if we bought it at retail. Sure. Um, but we've been playing on that. He he brought it over, and I just noticed as we we're packing the box away the other night, it's ages fourteen and up. <laughs> my my original box says ages ten and up, and the only thing we could think was maybe some kind of um, American thoughts on violence might be why they've upped the age range. I don't know because the rules are well. There, there were two sets of rules originally for the game. There were the rules in the. UK and the rest of Europe, and there are the rules in America. Mm-hmm. Um, basically the same. There's just sort of some slight differences around the edges. Um, America has some of the monsters have more hit points on them. In the European version, one hit and you kill any monster. So there was mm-hmm. a slight simplification there. Um, there. There was sort of other slight differences, but that's the biggest one. Um, 
but but why they've upped the age to be a cultural change. Yeah, yeah. Why they've upped up the age range to to fourteen from ten? I have no idea. It's it's a very simple game. It's um, they've even preserved roll and move, which is normally the first thing that gets house ruled out. Yeah, my understanding is that this is pretty much a hero quest as you as you would have had it back in the day. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. The only the only changes really are um, to do with Games Workshop copyrights. Um, so they've removed the Femir, which are a proprietary Games Workshop race <laughs> of amphibians that they're now strange fishmen called Abominations. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why they had to do that. Femir don't exist in current Warhammer world and haven't done for a couple of decades. Yeah, but you never let go of a trademark. It might be worth something someday. Yeah, who knows? I mean, they obviously must have had a conversation with Games Workshop to, to publish the game. But anyway, um, it's exactly the same game. Um, playing it with, uh, with, with my friend recently, we played using the app, which is a, a new thing. Um, obviously mm-hmm. apps didn't exist back then. Um, and it was an interesting point of comparison for me compared to, as I said, I've been playing the original version with a solo applet, as I call it, um, that was available on BGG. That applet was, uh, a Java browser based interface. Um, and the way it worked was very simple. It's scanned, it had scans of, um, each page of the Dungeon Master's quest book. Mm-hmm. Such that each time you went into a room, it had a number on each doorway, six, seven, and ten. If you wanted to go through doorway ten, click number ten, and it picked up that page and took you to that door. So it, it took on that role of the, the dungeon master effectively in revealing the dungeon to you one room at a time as you were exploring. Right. And really, exploration was the major part of Hero Quest because the combat, as I've just said, one, one hit and the monster was dead. Mm-hmm. The monsters will always move towards you and attack. The major part of the dungeon master was just allowing the experience of the the heroes to explore the dungeon. Yeah. So using that interface was very straightforward. If a monster appeared on it, they walked towards you and attacked on their turn. The re- and you know you're rolling a dice for doing that. Uh, yeah, normally sort of you know, between one and three dice for doing that, and it's roll to resolve combat. So. It is, it's not really any overhead for doing that yourself. Um, it was simple to run. It was easy. I liked that. The new version has a fully baked app that's included mm. with the game, um, complete with a lot of cheesy, hammy voice acting. <laughs> um, I, I do wish they'd had a crowdfunding goal of having Brian Blessed do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wasn't a fan of the app. So, presumably, if you're playing by basically the original rules, it's not required, but... No, you can still play by the original rules um, with, you know, a one versus many, with one player taking on the role of the Dungeon Master. And I'm going to lay my cards on the table and say I'm not a fan of apps in board games anyway. One of the reasons I play board games is to get away from computers. Um, I have played once or twice with an app other than with this app in HeroQuest. Um, principally actually, um, in, uh, co-op games rather than in solo games. Uh, I don't know why, maybe because it's other people's games and they've got the app and that's been fine. Um, we played Mansions of Badness, second edition a few years ago when that came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that worked well with the app. 
what this did for me, contrasting this official new app with the the fan-made applet that I'd used previously, is it really brought home some of the difficulties in cre- you creating an app that still gives you enough control over what you're doing, yeah, whilst tracking what you're doing, and maintain. It's it's a really strange thing. So, if using this app, I will roll the dice because it's still roll to move for some reason. Um, and I've then got, so I'll move the figure on the board. I then move my figure on the app. So I'm doing the same thing twice. Yeah. Then when it comes to combat, I roll my dice to hit. I roll the enemy's dice to defend. I then input the results of that combat. So it's trying to track a lot of things. And I can see the difficulties in this because really what you're doing is then recording everything twice. You've got the app for tracking things. You've still got pen and paper for tracking things as well. Hmm. Um, and I didn't... Yes, it's it's doing the same thing the other app were doing of revealing things to you one room at a time as you're moving around. Yes, when it comes to the enemy phase, it will tell you where monsters are moving and which enemy is moving where and when they're attacking. But it's not really taking care of anything in, in the background. It's it's to say, to me, it was duplicating a lot of things. You were moving things on the board and then moving them in the app as well, to the extent that I started to think, well, why am I moving things around on this board? Mm. And have, have you played uh, the Matches of Madness? A, a friend of mine is very into it, and, and I, I, I play her copy occasionally, but I, mm. I don't have it myself. Yeah, uh, yeah. but the thing... Sorry, yes, I am talking about a second. The, the yeah. thing there is that there are some things which are reserved to the app, like resolving combat... Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are other things where it says, "Okay, now put put this put this tile on the map, and then put that marker into it." And so you you can still see the entire map laid out on the board and where the monsters are. And, and the app is just saying, "Okay, is there a monster in a position to hit you?" In, in which case, right, we'll start the combat section now. Yeah, I, I mean, I have played, as I say, Manchester Man the second, albeit I didn't bother interacting with the app. Mm-hmm. Um, every time that I played it, um, the person whose game it was had their phone, so obviously a small screen, um, and it would sit there in the background and play the music and do all the audio and all the other things, and he would interact with it and take care of things that were interacting with it. So I didn't have to think about yeah, it. Yeah, that, that's that more level. or less my experience too, though um, Nikki has plumbed it into their television, so the thing is appearing on a big screen next to the board, which actually works right. pretty well. It's probably the best way yeah. of playing it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in, in this instance, um, yeah, my, my friend had a, a, a iPad or a tablet of some description, I don't know what, um, and it was set next to the board, so we interacted with it as we were playing the game. Mm-hmm. And as I say, I just felt like I was duplicating a lot of things. Yeah. Um, so it's it's still a fun game. Um, it's a very simple game. It's not a game that it's, it's a game that you're playing for for the theme, for the experience, not one for strategizing mm. um, I think it's possibly best as a a one versus many or if you want to use an app my own preference is for that fan made variant rather than this uh, this official one which so presumably the fan made one effectively w- would still let you play as many versus it yeah so, yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely um, 
Yeah, I think when I've played that in the past, um, I've generally controlled two characters if I'm playing solo. Um, mm-hmm. When playing uh, playing the two player against the the modern app, um, we both control two heroes each. Um, yeah. I don't think, yeah, I mean, I think HeroQuest you can technically play with with one hero, um, even if it's just one versus uh, your human overlord. Um, but I don't think it's best that way. Does it does it rebalance itself or? No, your, your number of mo- enemies and everything is exactly the same. I mean, right. as I say, it's, it's a very simple game that is designed for older children. Sure. And it needs to be, <laughs> needs to be approached on that level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, not, not every game can be Mage Knight. Not no. every game should be Mage Knight. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Okay, so. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, that's, um, Hero Quest. Uh, I believe it's, do they actually credit the designers these days? Oh, it's a good question. I, I hope they would, but maybe not. Anyway, uh, currently available. Yeah. Uh, another game I've been playing, and in fact, this this is related to a current Kickstarter, though no, nobody has um, taken any step, any steps to encourage me to talk about this one. Uh, mm-hmm. Sentinels of the Multiverse Definitive Edition. Uh, another Sentinels of the Multiverse Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, how many final final editions did they have now? <laughs> yeah, the, the uh, previous version, I believe, was the essential edition. Uh, I should say, I, I didn't play it much back in the day when it was a hot new game. This was originally published in 2011. Um, yeah, and for a long time, it was a, a beloved one-player game. Yeah. Um, back back in the days where there weren't so many one-player games. Now, a, a friend of mine, in fact, Nick, who just mentioning, um, mm-hmm. played the essential edition quite a lot. And he, yeah. he rather got burned out on it by the Oblivion, which is the last huge expansion pack they did for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically because there was so much complexity and stuff to keep track of, and this adds a point of damage to that, and then that changes the type of damage to something else and so on. Right. And, yeah, you know, on the app it's fine, but then you're playing a, playing a video game because it, you know, you, you pre, you select one thing to do, and then a cascade of five, five other things happen. Right. Um, and on the board, it was just too much. Mm. So I, I should say, I, I have played uh, the old edition once because I wanted to try it out before I committed to this new Kickstarter, which happened last year. Yeah. Um, I, as I understand it, they had planned to put Sentinels to bed at that point, um, but then you know, 2020 <laughs> happened. Well, also, but, but it's a cash cow. Well, no, it's the other <laughs> way around. Uh, it's because Spirit Island has been so hugely successful because that's also published by Greater Than Games. Mm-hmm. Um, that they've said, well, okay, we do now have that option. Um, we've, we've got the time and the space to take this game and give it a top to bottom revamp in light of all the expansions that we wrote, you know, because what you had originally was the single official rulebook from the basic set and then modifications yeah. here and modifications there. And what, what they've tried to do is have a single rulebook which will cover all the specialized vocabulary. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, discover a card, uh, means search through your deck for it and then put it into play, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, but they're trying to funnel everything as far as possible into one of those specialized vocabulary terms rather than mm. describing on the individual card what it does. Mm-hmm. So it's mechanically rather cleaner and they've, they've got uh, good markers for this thing does more damage, that thing does less damage and so on. Yeah. And. I suppose I should talk about the game itself for people who haven't played it. I mean, you know, <laughs> co- cooperative hand management, variable player powers. 
uh, you're playing three to five superheroes against a single villain and the environment is also a concern. So you, you might be fighting in the Mars base and then you have you know, oxygen leaks and things to contend yeah. with. It's a superhero game and I, we may have mentioned before, I'm not generally a fan of superhero games. The, the whole superhero... Oh, I'm, I'm pretty ambivalent about them. Yeah, I've never been a big comics reader. Um, no. For me, this does capture that feeling of there is a whole great big world out there that I'm just happening to see through the lens of this one incident, which, which is very much mm. the way I felt when I, when I occasionally read comics as a kid. So yeah. it, it has a, it has a nostalgia feel for me. Um, Adam Robotaro, who's co-designer and does all the art himself, mm. um, obviously in, in the 11 years since this came out, he's, he's had a lot of practice and got, got a lot better. I gather he's quite embarrassed by the original game art. Um, <laughs> but he's, he's not only redrawn everything, he's deliberately used an array of styles across the history right. of comics. So, yeah, if if you recognize that thing, you can say, okay, well, you know, this is that 1950s limited palette, clean line, mm-hmm. low resolution style, and then that card yeah. is, okay, this is obviously a 1990s issue, lots of muscles and pouches. Does that does that integrate in any way mechanically or, or not? Um the the art doesn't um, the, the period of the art doesn't make a difference though. Um, okay, I was, I was just wondering if it's sort of adds to the game in any way or if it's just a bit of a dis- distraction um, from it? I, I don't know. find a distraction. I, I, I actually like the art. I mean, each individual card is generally a fairly simple scene of, you know, the hero is doing something related to what's on the card. Mm-hmm. Um, and, th- and there's a there's a quote at the bottom with, with a supposed, this is the issue of the comic that this thing happened in. Yeah. Um no, I, th- I think the the only place you get integration there is each hero in the core box comes with a first appearance variant. So they get the same deck of cards. Each hero has its own unique uh, deck mm-hmm. of 40 cards of powers and items and whatever else they can do. Um, but they also have their their own personal power card with, with their own distinctive power, which, which yeah. is always available. And the first appearance variants have that and have art as it might be from, you know, 1940s comics or whatever. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know a lot of superheroes. I've, I probably know more than many people did until the films got popular in the last few years. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, I had heard of Iron Man before there was an Iron Man film. But I, I don't think that's unusual for people of my age. I, I th- yeah, I think I probably um, always confused it with the Ted Hughes one. Hey. Um, but because these are, you know, the, these are not real real world comics and they've resisted mm. the um possibility of doing that so you get the wraith and the wraith is a stalker of the night gadgeteer um a lot like batman legend yeah. is a lot like superman it, it if you have that sort of cultural background it's very easy to pick up mm-hmm. this is what that sort of character is like but at the same time it doesn't have the costs of being an actual marvel or dc tie-in yeah. so uh, yeah, there, there are pod- there's a podcast, the Letters page that that the designers do. Uh, they're mm-hmm. a hundred and something episodes in now, right. and they just talk about the putative lore of these of this comic series that has never existed, <laughs> right, and okay. it's great fun. <laughs> um, Have I seen somewhere they are actually publishing comics with it now? Are they? Oh, okay. I think there might be, or, or there's a role-playing game. Well, there's, there's something about you know, that really RPG. expanded on the law of it. Uh, I haven't, yeah. I haven't played it, but uh, it does exist. Yeah. Um, so to to get more into the game, uh, very strong emphasis on teamwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you are always playing at least three heroes in in, in the fight. 
uh, yep. or other available was that many in play, how many players you want to have. Um, and while they can each individually do some basic stuff, they get a lot more effective when they start uh, cooperating. You know, I, yeah. I, I play I play this thing and that lets everybody else play a card. And then with that card, you give everybody except yourself plus one damage and then, I, then it comes back to me and I do my big attack and that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, so while there are 12 heroes in the box, this does not mean you get 12 games out of it and then you've learned it. It means you've got, yeah multiple combinations mm-hmm. to consider how, how would this character work with that one? Yeah. How can they reinforce each other? Uh, looking at it in terms of solo, uh, there is basically no hidden information between players. No- normally you would, you would keep your hand as your hand, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't break the game if you don't do that un- unless you have an alpha player in the group. Yeah. So basically it's trivial to solo, you just play it by the same rules. I, I have played four heroes at once with no problem at all, except mm-hmm. I overflowed the size of my gaming mat. So Yeah. Um The core box, which is uh yeah, Kickstarter delivered at around the beginning of the month for me. Uh it is reaching retail as we speak. Uh has twelve heroes, six villains, six environments. Uh, it also has a series of events and critical events, which are basically, you'll be fighting this villain, but they have some special rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also have supposed publication dates on the side. If you wanted, you could, you could chain those into a campaign, but this, this isn't really a campaign game. Otherwise, you know, you, yeah. you, you don't earn, you don't earn a better card for your hero. They, they yeah. always start with the same 40 card deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, the obvious comparison, I suppose, is with Marvel Champions, which inconveniently I haven't played. Uh, well, I mean, I, I was going to ask about another co-op deck building game, which I know you have played, mm-hmm. Aeon's End. Yeah. Well, yeah, that that is deck building and this isn't. Okay, I thought there was deck building in Is it de- Is it all deck construction then? Um, no, it's not, neither really. Um, neither. <laughs> I would say, let's just say I, I am playing the Wraith. Yeah. I will, my choice is basically between the Wraith and the first appearance variant, and they're, they're relatively similar, and different number of hit points, different, mm-hmm. different core power. Uh, and then I have the 40 card deck. Now, the, the variation in, for, from playing the Wraith from one time to the next is in mm. what order those cards come up in, and, and mm-hmm. how, how quickly I can get the particular ones into play. Right. Um, but it is always the same deck, and you, you don't have to buy anything. If a card is in your hand, mm. you can play it. That's interesting. I, whenever, whenever I see sentiments mentioned um, on board game geek, it's normally when people are asking for recommendations for for deck building games. Yeah, I can see how it might feel a bit that way, but th- there isn't a market. Y- no. You are gradually building. I suppose you could sort of call it a tableau builder, in that you are yeah. gradually building up your array of. Yeah. So on, on your but, turn, you will typically play a card and then activate a power. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you have one power on on your hero card, and others will be on cards that you play. But other cards are one shot yeah, sword. Because, the... as you say, a tableau builder, not a deck builder. Yeah. Um, and so, so you might want to say, okay, I will I will play this power that lets me do damage, and then later I will play this other thing that boosts mm. the damage I do with powers. So there's a certain amount of build. It, it's not it it's not an engine builder though. It it, it doesn't have that to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and similarly, the, the villain each round will get out a new card, and then any cards you haven't taken out of action will activate. Quite often, the villain won't do anything directly itself, though some of them do. Right. 
Um, so yes, I, I've played a lot of Eons End. I think I own all of it. Um, I, I have demoed it. I, I still enjoy it. But yeah, that, that is much more of a deck builder and, and the mm. decisions you're making are trade, trade offs of your, um, there, there must be some, something, something in the metagame rules of the, the, the basic resource you, you, that ebbs and flows is called something silly. So in Eons End, it's Ether. Um, <laughs> and you're trading off, I, I want some cards in my hand to generate it and then I will spend it to buy other cards from the market or to uh, bash the monster or to power various other effects. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think that is... The, the, I suppose I could say the core gameplay loop in Eon's End is, is that ether economy. Yeah. Uh, whereas here you don't have that. What, what, what you're restricted by is typically you can only play one card in a turn. Mm. So... Your know, starting hand might be great, but you can only you can only get one card done. So do do you play the one shot that yeah. will deal with the immediate problem, but not build up your overall power, mm. or do you play the thing that will give you useful power but be less immediately effective? It's just you're going to get to do it again and again later. Yeah. Um, and those those are the decisions I'm seeing so far. And things like in the environment, um, you get cards like. There, there is a crashing monorail. Um, you can, so, you can solve this by hitting it, but that means you're doing mm-hmm. less damage to the villain. You can solve it often by discarding cards or skipping a, a card play phase or something of that sort, in which case yeah. it will go away. Or if it doesn't, um, then it will, it will do, it will have some general bad effect on the heroes. So you decide, okay, how, how are we going to deal with this? Which resources are we going to use? Or do we just sit there and let and let it do the thing and take the damage because that will cost us less than? Yeah. Some environment cards are good, but that but that's what what a bad environment card might look like. Yeah. Yeah. Marvel Champions is is probably a similar game in many ways. Um, judging by the, what what I've read about it, uh, it's mm-hmm. more in the modern. It's as far as I can see, it's exclusively in the modern art style because obviously it has to get approval from Marvel. So it's what the yeah. what the characters yeah. currently look like. Um, it's probably more fiddly. I've seen serious Marvel Champions players saying that the ideal game size is two to three players, whereas Sentinels, I think it's probably more like four to five. Uh, right, okay. And of course, Marvel Champions, like the old edition of Sentinels, has lots of little expansions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sentinels right now, all that is there... Oh, yeah, also Marvel is a deck building game. Uh, sorry, sorry, it's a deck construction game. Deck construction, uh, yeah. yeah. The, the deck building one would be legendary. Yeah. Um, so Mar- Marvel, you you say, okay, well, I want, I want to play this hero, but I'm going to mix in this aspect of their deck as, mm. as a dominant thing. Uh, whereas, as I say, Sentinel's decks are fixed and the variety is in the combinations of the heroes mm. and the villains. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really lucky. It, it's... It is a rare game that encourages me to lay it out solo when I don't have a particular reason to, and mm. that is a, that is one thing that's been happening for this for me. That's a big endorsement. Uh, I don't know why it should appeal to, to me the way it does. I'm trying to work it out, but it's definitely <laughs> definitely working for me. Uh, yeah. And I should say the Kickstarter for the first um, definitive edition expansion is happening as we record uh, till till the end of March, I believe, uh, and so. That that is also, of course, a way of getting the original box. Though the original box should be hitting retail pretty soon, anyway. 
People are going to start to think you're turning into a corporate show, Roger. <laughs> but if, if they want to offer me money, I'll be happy to take it. I'll just tell everybody I have. Uh, so it's designed by uh, Christopher Bedell and Adam Rebataro. Excellent. I've been playing Cottage Garden by Uwe Rosenberg, mm-hmm. which is a game we mentioned possibly in our very first episode when we were talking about New York Zoo. Um, so this was the first of Uwe Rosenberg's Seasons trilogy of polyomino tile layers. And I think it sometimes get a bit, gets a bit overlooked. Mm. It's, uh, it's often thought of as the, the simplest, the easiest of that trilogy. Um, which it kind of is, but there's also something quite clever going on. So I think what people look at is you, the, the sort of the basic mechanics of the game. Um, there's a, a grid four by four, which is your offer of tiles that you're going to select from. Mm-hmm. Um, around the outside of that grid, you move a die, which is basically your round tracker. On your turn, you'll select one tile from the line that that die is on. So you've got a selection of up to four. If there's only one left in the row, then you refill it. So you're always choosing from between two and four pieces. Mm -hmm. When the die is completed, a complete circuit of the the grid, then you rotate it to the next, you're counting up. So one, two, three, four. Yeah. So that's why I say it's the round counter. Um, In the... Solo and I think the two player version of the game. Um, you start on round two, so you miss out the first round. Um, and then on the, when you move over to number six, the final round, that's kind of a bonus round in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'll get back to in a moment. But once you take these tiles, you put them onto your little garden squares. You've got two of them at any one time. They're five by five squares. Yeah. Showing on there are various plant plots and cloches. And what you're trying to do is to fill in all the spaces that don't have plant plots and cloches on. You can cover them up, but if you cover them up, they aren't going to score you anything. Okay. Okay. So on your turn, you take a tile from the main grid, move it onto your little one of your little grids. Mm-hmm. When it, when one of those little grids fills up, you score it, you change it out for another little five by five grid, and you start filling that one up. Yeah. You can on your turn, instead of taking one of the polyominoes, choose to take a plant pot, which is going to cover one square. Right. And presumably that you would you would do this because you've got an inconvenient gap that you're not going to be able to fill with the polyomino, or that would be the main reason to do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but where it feeds in is to the bit of this game that I say is clever, and that's the scoring. Mm-hmm. So the way that you're scoring, you start off the game with three orange cubes and three blue cubes. So we're already into the the wonderful world of euros and cube pushing. Mm-hmm. Those two those cubes are going to move up two different tracks. 
which have some similarities and some differences. So your orange cubes move up in uh, magnitudes of one, and that's for scoring your plant pots. Okay. Okay. So each space, one point, two point, three point, four points, can take one orange cube. When it can move over six and gets up to seven, you'll get a bonus cat token. You start the game with two cat tokens. <laughs> You can hold those in your reserve, place them out onto your grid anytime you like. Like the plant pot tokens that I mentioned just now, and I'm going to mention again in a moment, they cover one space. Right. But they don't score you anything. Yeah. But but okay. they contribute to you being able to say, right, this tile is now finished and I will score it. Exactly, yeah. One. So sometimes you might want to just hold on to them in your reserve and then go, okay, but I can put these out now and score this this garden immediately. Okay. So that plant pot track, so when you go over from six to seven, you get a, a cat token. It carries on going up in increments of one up to 15. Mm-hmm. And then the final space is 20. Yeah. And then you can fit as many uh, plant pot, as many orange cubes as you like into that 20 space. When it hits 20, you get a blo- bonus plant pot token, which you must place immediately. Right. So that's the thing so to keep in mind uh, when your score's getting high. Yeah, and unlike your your cat tokens, you you can't hold it in reserve. So you've, right. you're, you're trying to think out, as, as you say, plan ahead. Where is this plant pot going to go? And maybe you can trigger competing two gardens at once. Otherwise, it might even be an inconvenience if you haven't got a, a single spot mm-hmm. to fill. The blue track is working in a similar way, but for your cloches rather than your plant pots. And instead of going up in increments of one, it's going up in increments of two. Okay. And each space can hold two blue cubes. Mm-hmm. So again, once it passes over six, between six and eight, you get your bonus cat token. And when it transitions from 14 to 20, you get your plant pot that you've got to place immediately. Right. So you're trying to move your cubes up these two parallel tracks to trigger the bonuses at the right time to make the maximum use of those bonuses and you want mm. you want to max out you want to get uh, your points to 20 because that jump from 15 to 20 from 14 to 20 is obviously a, a big jump yeah but you also don't want to waste it you don't want to complete you know complete a garden with seven plant pots in it and move your um plant pot cube from 14 to, to 20 when you could move one from from 2 up to 9 Sure, you've, you're only moving 2 spaces for the same number of points mm-hmm. the final wrinkle in the scoring is that final round so as I say you're, you're turning the die over you're counting up rounds each time when you get to the final one you change the die over from 5 to 6 that final round is not necessarily a full round. Okay. Once you've completed four, five or four, depending on whether you started with one or two um, on the die to begin with, which depends, on say, on your play account. So once you get to that fourth or fifth round, the game will end immediately when you have no empty or when you have, when both your gardens are fully empty. 
in other words, sense? when you complete, once you've completed both your boards, or yeah, but bearing in mind you're always cycling through two boards. If yeah. you put a polyomino piece out on one board, then you've still got a board that needs completing. Right. So this may well not happen every game that it ends early. It really depends on how good you are planning out. <laughs> so there is um, there, there is an incentive to make sh- for, for you to try and end it early, because on that final round, every turn that you take where you, well, every turn that you take, you will lose a point or two points. You have to move one of your cubes down. So either a cube on the plant pot track where you're losing one point cube on the cross track where you're losing two points if you're really painful you maybe have to move one of your cubes out of that 20 spot into the 15 or 14 so although you've got this potential extra round to complete things your score could be going down (laughs) the longer the game goes on okay so as i say it's mechanically it's a simple game and i think people look at it and go oh it's a very cozy theme it's colorful it's pretty bland actually you're just creating a pretty little garden well th- this is a game I've, I've seen over people's shoulders i haven't played it and yeah i, I realized it when, when you mentioned it. i started looking through pictures and oh yes it's the one with the cardboard wheelbarrow uh, yeah yeah that's, that's, a, that's a nice bit of table presence so that wheelbarrow is marking the beginning of the the extra tiles that you'll move into that grid mm-hmm. when a row runs out Mark, the impression I'm getting from what you've said is that what the only thing that matters with the polyominoes is the shapes. I don't have to match, you know, this flower to that flower or get three of a kind or anything like that. Exactly, yeah. You're, you're purely trying to fill up that grid in a way that maximises the number of plant pots and cloches visible at the same time as moving forwards, competing as many of those boards as possible mm. in the shortest amount of time possible. Right. But yeah, as I say, that the the interesting part of it is that scoring, and that's what I think gets overlooked. Mm. So yeah, that's um, Cottage Garden by Uwe Rosenberg. So that's from 2016. I'm, I'm I'm being a bit cold to the news today, but you're, you're being a useful <laughs> counterbalance. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, Sentinels is 2011. Yeah, but I'm I'm, I'm playing new Sentinels. <laughs> <laughs> One of the problems well, we're trying trying to keep all bases covered. One of the problems people are having is, you know, they they were loyal players of the old edition, and now do I get rid of my old edition and buy the new one? Do I? Yeah, no, I'm aware of some, of, as I say, in some of the controversies as well with the oh, this is the final edition. Oh, this is the final edition. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So this month we're here to talk about board game lulls or phases spent without playing board games, which is uh, a brilliant topic for a podcast all about board games. <laughs> and we have a, it, it happens a lot. And I mean, it, I've, I've asked, I've, I'm being selfish really, I've chosen this topic because I've been in a, a board game lull for a period of several months now. <laughs> um, but before we get into the nitty gritty of it, let's, uh, let's go around and introduce our guests. So uh, I'm just going to work down the the screen here as I see them in front of me. Um, first up, we have Gary, who has done various things in the One Player Guild on Board Game Geek. Gary, do you want to say hello? 
Yeah, hi, hi everyone. Um, I don't feel like I do a lot these days, but yes, I've, I've been in the guild for, oh god, it feels like forever. Um, it, and enough time for Who's Gary to be a, to be a, a to, thing in itself. To be a thing. <laughs> uh, and I've, and I've met up with quite a lot of people, you know, I've met up with yourself and Roger in this country. Yeah. I've even met Susie when she was over, uh, mm-hmm. a few years back. So, met quite a lot of people through meetups yeah. and stuff, which has been great. Speaking of which, next down the screen is Susie, who is also a, a long-time one-player guild member on Board Game Geek. Yep, I uh, think I came into the guild shortly after Gary, but um, also like Gary, I'm not terribly active uh, now, but great place to be, and I've met some people who become very dear friends through the guild, so it's it's a wonderful place. And finally, the, the man who tells me he's not that famous... Jason Perez um, who used to have a podcast and then didn't have a podcast and then had a podcast again and contributes to Dice Tower and the One Stop Co-op Shop what am I leaving out Jason? Uh, One Player Guild people will know me I do the commentary with Kevin Erskine on the Top 100 solos which was super popular last year because we were locked up in quarantine and we needed solo games on the table. And you like to your point, you know, people were struggling to get stuff on the table, but you can always watch a show. And a <laughs> lot of people watched me and Kevin and whoever uh, Liz, Liz Davison just prattle on about board games and solo games. So yeah, if, yeah, the idea that you'd done that on YouTube completely passed me by. I listened to the podcast. There you go. Uh, YouTube and podcast because YouTube yeah. doesn't make the podcast very friendly because you need YouTube Plus to be able to shut your phone off when you listen to it. So it's hard to walk with. So I like, yeah. okay, podcast, YouTube. If there's anything else, any other platforms, people, that you need me, that I need to put on, I will investigate. So, yeah, if, if any one-player guild person knows me, it'll be for the commentary and also just for my old podcast. Uh, hopefully you've hopped over to Shelf Stories, my YouTube channel, but, you know, it's all good. All excellent. We'll get some more links in at the end for, for people before they go. But the reason I invited all our guests, Gary, I know, has at least a seasonal board game lull every year. Yep, pretty much. Susie has certainly had board game lulls in the past. Mm-hmm. Jason, I think, had a a podcast inflicted board game lull. Um, yeah. but, <laughs> but also you have a, a professional interest in this, as it were, um, being a, a psychotherapist. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah the, the the energy, right? You get energy for things, the energy lulls and that kind of thing. I, I'm interested in it as a psychotherapist. And yeah, I've had my... Uh, times where, especially as a reviewer, as a reviewer, you know, you could all, I'm swimming in a sea of sevens. Like these, these decent games, you don't want to mm-hmm. review them badly because someone else will like them and they're decent enough. But like, I don't, you know, it's like going to McDonald's all the time. It's like, all right, I'm, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> uh, give me some, uh, yeah, it's nice, not nice some... when you go there once, but then if you keep going there, it's not so good. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, as I mentioned in the introduction to this, um, I found the last few months, um, basically my board game activity has been once a month or so, I go, oh god, I've got a podcast to record, I better play some games before that, so I've got something to talk about. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, and that's just, yeah. I think that should be the new name of this podcast, to be honest. Oh my god, I've got a podcast to record, I better play so let's approach it from two angles then. Let's approach this as therapy for me. Is it terrible? 
But also, I thought it was an interesting topic for listeners um, generally. I think, um, you know, if, if you're engaged enough in the hobby that you're listening to a board game podcast, and that comes with a, a pressure unto itself as the, the games mount up and should you be playing games and as, uh, yeah, there, there's a pressure there which might not be healthy. Hmm. How far yeah. wide am I off the mark there, Jason? I think the idea of pressure is where I wanted, is the first thing that I thought of when you emailed me Mm-hmm. about this conversation, the, the idea of pressure. And there's different pressures. Like, you know, if you're creating content, there's the pressure to make the content, keep it up. You know, you don't want to disappear from people's feeds for, mm-hmm. you know, like you don't want to establish your rhythm, whether it's one month or, or two weeks or, and then break the rhythm because you're not doing anything. You have to keep that rhythm up to keep the audience, you know, because that's what it's all about, right? The engagement. Yeah. And so, so that is that pressure if you're a creator. But I think there's also just as gamers, you know, I, I see – this happens a lot on, you know, on any, like a lot of the different solo guilds. They'll be like, I set up this whole game and there it is on the table waiting for me to play and mm-hmm. I'm going to play something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to go play this video game or I'm going to go like shoot some Angry Birds or whatever it is. And what? yeah. I mean, and, the, and so like the, the idea of like in a hobby, and it's supposed to be our hobby, it's supposed to be our pastime, feeling pressure in the middle of that, all that. Yeah. That's, that's exactly where this conversation needs to be. I think what you just said about the, I just set up a game and now I'm going to go do something else is a big reason why I have lulls is that mm-hmm. setting up a game is annoying. Right. I mean, I only have like, I, I, I think um, I'll set up the game and like Gloomhaven killed board games a little bit. For me. Um, like it took, would take me 30 minutes to set this game up. And then I was like, I'm tired and bored now. I'm going to do something else. Mm-hmm. And, and then I got an Xbox and I was like, Oh, you don't have to set up. You just turn it on and sit on the couch and put your feet up. Mm. There's no work involved whatsoever, and I'm massively entertained. So I don't. A, a lull can be uh, can be connected to a lot of laziness for me. <laughs> <laughs> but but the the setting up thing is is so true. I've I I mean if somebody asked, me, I've been playing Mage Knight this month. And I've actually managed to play it mm. three times. But if Yay. you ask me what well the done. average turnaround from finishing one game to set up, it's been about six days of just <laughs> slowly shuffling the cards and putting things. I just just can't get, you know, I'm really enjoying it when I'm there. And then just the getting it set up again is just, yeah. just it takes, yeah, I'm going to shuffle this deck of cards and then I'm walking away. And then tomorrow mm-hmm. I'll look at the tiles, maybe. You know, but I don't even think about it in those terms. I just walk past it and go, oh, that deck needs to shuffle. I'll shuffle that. And it's literally taken me six days to get it reset to start again. <laughs> like, if I had a board game butler, I would play a lot of solo <laughs> ah, games. Yes. Like, someone who set the game up, shuffled all the cards, uh, and even maybe they even know the rules, right? I think um, t- uh, Will Wheaton, Tabletop, had that mm-hmm. uh, at some point. Like, they had the rules, um, Savant or whatever, that just – like taught them games, made sure they didn't make all the mistakes and stuff, and they were kind of off camera, like Alfred from Batman. Like <laughs> if I had a bu- a board game butler, I would I would I'm looking at all these like games and shrink that I have, and I'm when I was doing the podcast, I was doing it weekly, and I did uh, got to 190 episodes of the old solo podcast, yeah. and I feel that I I was like enthusiastic and at all sorts of stuff. Nowadays, that I'm looking at Adventures of Robin Hood from Cosmos, uh, the, the Dune Rise of X, and they're all in shrink. <laughs> 
<laughs> like I'm looking for that butler to just just do it for me. Ah, oh, please. I think once we've done this, Jason, that might be a, a business opportunity. You and I should talk. <laughs> I want to be on that. I want to be in on that because um, I was here on day one. You know. I mean, it's the gig economy, right? That's the perfect gig job. Just like you show up, yeah. you do things, and you move on. Like or like um, you could do it like Uber, where like, you could just kind of request one. You know, like if someone's hanging out and like they yeah, yeah. put it in the app. Yeah, app-based board game butler that can be at your house within an hour. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really teach mentioned... games, so... Ah. Yeah, Roger, you can be the first butler. <laughs> you mentioned Games and Shrink there, Jason. I mean, that's another thing. You know, as I've been through this lull of not playing games, I've had Kickstarters reviving. There are more games coming into my house, mm-hmm. which... Oh, it, it it adds to that pressure we were talking about. Of, you know, why why am I acquiring these things that are just going to go and st- sit on the shelf? Mm-hmm. But does, for me, like it, it comes back to that thing about it being a hobby, and it's whether ball gaming is just the playing or it's more than that. And as we've said, like Jason, you even mentioned it. You know, it's easy to go and watch watch a video about the stuff that you love. Isn't that all of it? Because I was looking at I was when you sent me the thing i started looking at what some of my other friends who don't board game which is why mm. i'm a solo gamer um but what their hobbies are <laughs> and there's long periods where they're not actually doing the thing that they love yeah that is their hobby you know yeah that's some good data collection there gary <laughs> that's all i've done I well just, done well thank you <laughs> I, I can leave now bye <laughs> uh, jason you mentioned rhythms and i think you know you were talking about weekly rhythms but is there sort of a, a longer ebb and flow to this uh is gary says not just board games but all hobbies that you have periods of greater engagement than than others right i think like as humans you know as i've studied humans and work with humans and everything it, it we do have ebbs and flows of this stuff you know i think that it's very like i think we're built for variety like we're built mm-hmm. for newness like our, our dopamine systems they you know they don't release with the same old thing right uh, even like new games, like mm-hmm. really, are they really new? Like, is that tenth dungeon crawler really have that much to contribute? <laughs> it has new art, it has new whatever. But like, you ask publishers, you know, that are releasing kind of stuff in the lane, right? Whatever yeah. the, our lanes are, like you know, we have our Euro lane, we have our adventure lane, and we have our you know small card game mm-hmm. lane. And you know, it's so it's like you getting all these new things. Like I don't, it's it slowed down with the pandemic. We're getting thousands of games every year. Yeah, yeah. Are they really that different? And our brain craves that, you know, we want new stuff, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it, when you're working out, you want to work out in a new way every once in a while, just kind of wake your muscles up when you're, you know, taking, if you're a hiker, like you want to hike different trails or, yeah. you know, yeah. bike the, 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 the different thing. I think our, and that's a good thing. Like, I think we are trained or we're wired as human beings to want to do different things. So it's like, it's, you know, board gaming like it shouldn't be the only thing, right? Mm-hmm. It really shouldn't. They, they, it, there's not enough. And and I know it's hard to talk about this thing we love and like the limitations of it and what it can't do. I think when we talk about lulls, though, our body is telling us like do something else. Mm. <laughs> you know, go go. It's okay. <laughs> You're not. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, we we feel guilty, right? You know, because like the games are there. We yeah. gotta play them. And everything. But it's like it's okay. Just go out and figure out something else to do. And it's it's funny because like in our in our civilization we kind of specialize and we're expected mm-hmm. to specialize. Like we even specialize our hobbies. Yeah. And I don't think that's healthy. I, I think that that what more whatever we can do to kind of you know within the the drum and within all the the, me- the mechanism the machinery of society. If I want to say 
Mm-hmm. You know, there should we should find ways, you know, to mix it up. Like, I mean, when I go through my lulls, I'm like, you know, I've I've learned to kind of let go and be like, you know what, it's not happening. I'm just gonna go out and do something else. I'm gonna take a hike. I'm gonna play some phone game. I'm gonna. Um, you know, play, you know, with a different way. I'm going to reorder my shelves. That's another thing. It's like, I mean, I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm just going to, I'm going to you know, make my shelves look different. I'm going to, you know, I, I have this giant pile of games on my to, to sell list. And I never really, I, I've sold games, but never really like in bulk. But that, that's but a difference. Like, Unlike you, Jason, that's, that's one of the things I do. I don't reorganize the shelf <laughs> as such. I do go through massive purges where I just like, you know, yeah. I'm selling all of this, some of which I end up buying again, but I just like, yes. no. That's, I need a bit of a clear out. <laughs> but I, I think you're saying that I'm really clearing my brain of yes. some of the bad stuff that I'm starting to associate with it, that well, hobby. I wouldn't say it's bad. Like it's all good. Like, I mean, and that's the uh, that's another thing. It's like I think that we kind of the way, that's where the pressure comes from. Like, okay, it's bad to not have not to play games. It's bad to like it's all good. Like the the body telling us to do something else is good, and the body telling us to get rid of stuff, declutter. Mm-hmm. It, it's is good stuff, and maybe we're kind of like cheating on board games. <laughs> 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 Our mistress is not happy with us or whatever. But I mean, we're not made to be monogamist. <laughs> Your wife's still looking at you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> mine's, mine's downstairs in a different room, so I can say stuff like that. But Jason, you're taking big risks. I think there may also be an, an input bias here because, you know, if, if you're watching board game videos, listening to podcasts and stuff, you're generally hearing from people who are enthusiastic about it because we do this mm, for fun, right. not because we're getting paid. Um, yeah. So, you know, if, if you do a lot of that, then then you'll get that feeling of, well, everybody else seems to be having fun. Why aren't I? I mean, yeah. I, th- I think it may be the universal teenage experience that everybody else seems to be getting more sex than you are. So <laughs> some, some sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And everybody's lying about it. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that, Jason, when you were talking about the guilt. You know, I used to feel guilty when I wouldn't play my games. And I think that my there's a direct correlation between the amount of activity and the amount of time I spent in the one-player guild and the amount of guilt that I felt. Because mm-hmm. so much of that connection that we have in the guild is by playing games, playing new games, and being excited about games. So when you don't feel excited about the games, you start to feel less connection. And that can be a little bit troubling for people who especially during the pandemic, just get a lot out of that group of people. Um, but I think there really is no good or bad or right or wrong. So I'm going to mm. kind of disagree with you a little bit, Jason, even though I have no credentials with which to do that. <laughs> um, I just don't think there's like, we're, when we say good and bad, we're, we're putting a judgment on something. I mean, if we mm. just sort of observe what's going on, it's just that, well, today I played a game and you observe what goes on the next day and I didn't play and the next day. I didn't play a game. And, and I think, you know, maybe to Gary's point of that other people have hobbies and don't obsessively participate in them. You know, I think board games is a hobby. And for me, the hobby is playing the games and it's buying the games and it's selling and it's organizing and it's setting them up and just looking at them because they look pretty on the table and then going and playing a video game. But none of that is good or bad. You know, it's is there a- is there something particular about board gamers? We're sort of wired to record things and look at, you know, point scoring and all those values and is that part of feeding into this of as you say Susie oh I, I've, I've played a game today I've logged my play on Board Game Geek and that is there part of the psychology that attracts us to board games that feeds into this guilt when we're not playing them I don't know I know that I had to stop logging them because it made me mental <laughs> <laughs> I got very obsessive about it when I was logging and you know as someone who's in science and we have this thing called the H-index 
in my real job, you know, when people would start talking about their H index and games, I was like, please don't go there. It's one of the most, (laughs) 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 you don't want to start thinking like that. Right. You know, I get why people enjoy it. Um, but for me, it was never a positive thing I, like that. Just yeah. a little too much. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean, Susie. When, um, what was it? Newton came out a couple of years ago. And uh, I think Bryn on the yeah. one player guild said to me, Oh, it's a great game. You're, you're publishing papers and you're competing for funding at universities across Europe. I said, No, no, this is real life. I, I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> oh, how awful. That does not sound fun. No. Well, also, uh, I think it was at end of 2020, I was doing a 10 by 10 and I'd got to the point where I've got seven games left to play and about three days left to play them in. And that just started feeling like a job. Yeah. 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 The first yeah. time I did try to do, I only once tried to do the, like the 10, 10 by 10 things. And yeah, it started to get, I'd even get that far into it. And I was just like, this is starting to feel like a chore rather than fun. And I'd picked games mm-hmm. I really wanted to play and it was mm-hmm. still, yeah. That's not how it should be. It should be, I feel like this, and this yeah. is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah, I think, like, we introduced these productivity hacks. Like, that's what they are, right? Mm-hmm. 10 by 10s and, and whatever it is, and a logging plays. And, like, these are productivity hacks. And I think that they are – they become, I should say. Uh, they become ways to keep up with the perceived – what the buffalo is doing. Uh, you know, we don't want to be the slowest buffalo in the herd. We don't want to be left out. And yeah. that's a that's a basic primal – thing i think Susie was right on it like i mean you know it, the the idea that like other people are playing and we get their best like you know we get everybody else's a's on social media and you put that together it looks like like oh the crowd is always on so like mm-hmm. i want to play this new thing and i want to get this to the table and it creates it, it's you know kind of a like uh, studying social media from a psychotherapist perspective like it's made us miserable Mm-hmm. It really has. I mean, and we really need to kind of limit it. And it's it sucks to say because like we meet all these great people and you know we do all these great things, but the the the, the piping, the structure where where we're meeting yeah. all these people matters. Yeah. And it it it's a lot of pressure to see like you know you look at the board, you know one one play ago right easy mm-hmm. you know you look at it and it's all the titles and you know I get intimidated. You know, that, that's it. That's part of the reason I don't spend as much time as I want to. Because yeah. I'm going on there and there's always somebody asking about a new game. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And then every 10th post would be like, okay, a Mage Knight post or a Spirit Island post or whatever. But yeah. it's most like, you know, challenges. And, you know, uh, what about this thing? What about this new Kickstarter? Uh, there's that one like Kickstarter for one player thread that just kind of keeps on floating to the top. Mm-hmm. I don't care. <laughs> and I don't want to have to care. And yeah. the fact that I, the structure of how we are in these online spaces kind of makes me care, mm-hmm. that's where I start to get that burnout feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes, yeah, certainly that up that pressure that we can kind of give each other as a community um, certainly contributed to probably my first board game lull where I didn't play mm-hmm. for several months. And it was because I felt a little bit of burnout, which is ridiculous in a hobby. Mm-hmm. Like just, it should be fun. You know, what am I doing to myself? Mm-hmm. Um, but also this like just pressure to keep up with new games. And, and like, I totally agree with you, Jason. It's like, I don't care. I can't care. And it was through that first lull um, that I sort of, I, what did I call it? The cult of the play tested. That's what I called it. So the cult of the <laughs> yeah. new. I was like, I'm just playing my old games that I know are fun. You know, I'm going to stop buying the games and being maybe disappointed or whatnot. And that helped. I it, I sort of had to just take a different approach to how I thought about the hobby. Like just just enjoy it. Just enjoy mm-hmm. what you know what you know and and don't don't buy into the FOMO. I guess. 
But it, it's it's like I said, the conversation is always moving forward in the guild, which is why I don't contribute as much. And like I said, it's talking about yeah. the new, and yeah. and where I do still connect is with people, and the, where we're talking about just everything about it. You know, where it's wider than that, and what's just the brand new thing for um, everybody. And like I, mean, I, I, I feel, I can't keep up with that conversation. It's just too hard. I mean, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing no, wrong no. with the brand new thing because oh, no, that's. No, no, I'm not saying that's wrong. It's just people, I can't right? keep up with it. Yeah, yeah. We, like... we should we should point out the positives of that as well. I mean, I think all of us, as we say, came into the one player guild at some point a few years ago, and we engaged in that when it was yep. a new yeah. shiny thing for us. <laughs> but all of us, probably at a similar time, moved on from that and got, as you say, Susie, burned out with it. Yeah, but it, like it's part of the fun. And it's part of how people enjoy it. And I don't think there's any right mm. or wrong way to enjoy board no, games. So absolutely if, not. If always getting the hot new game and then playing it and moving on from it is the way, your way to enjoy it, you know, go for it. Mm. Um, just for me, it got, it felt, yeah. started to feel like pressure. Um, but yeah, I, I think I want to feel lull for mm. a different reason. And I definitely hear you, Suze, about the idea of like good and bad. Like I, I usually talk in terms more of healthy and unhealthy as a psychotherapist. So like healthy, like, Everybody can experience things in board games in a healthy way. I guess my point is like the way our communities are structured is unhealthy. Like the the, the things that are emphasized mm. and the things that are de-emphasized. So like you know, new talk about new games is emphasized. Uh, mm. Someone asking about you know uh, what do I do about this? That's emphasized, and that's you know that's cool. And you go into like okay, give me you know give me suggestions for games, and it's always the same games. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so it's like okay, I'm not, I'm not getting anything interesting out of that either. So like, I think that, but like you know, some, an interesting conversation like this one, or you know, I have my my, my podcast uh, where I think I have great uh, things uh, to say and very interesting people that, that are yeah. on, and they're not as much, you know, because it just doesn't like float up to the top. Hmm. So it's like you know, I would love to have access to more people just having intelligent discussions about games or, or, you know, kind of diving into, you know, something that's not Lord of the Rings, please. (laughs) You know, like something uh, a little bit, you get to the the canon, right? So like there's the canon and there's the new. Those are the Mm -hmm. two things that are emphasized. The canon stuff. Yeah, There's Kickstarter and there's Mage Knight. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's so perfect. Because that's what is floats to the top. And so our, the way we're structured in our community is structured to emphasize those things. And I get it why. The human beings, like, you know, name, ask anybody to name the American presidents. They'll name you the famous ones and they'll name you the, the new one, the one that, that's yeah. there right now. That's the way the brain works, right? And so that's cool and I understand it. But in terms of a long-term being, and I think we've all been in the guild for years, mm-hmm. you know, it, we get tired of it and it's fine to get tired of it. So really it could be, because that's the way the community is structured. It's not bad. It's yeah. just, you know, mm-hmm. too much yeah. of something can get, can go from healthy to unhealthy. And then it's time to kind of play, like I said before, uh, you know, unplug, do a little, do, do something else. And then, you know, maybe it'll reignite the fire later. Yeah. Coming and back I just to want to it. pick up on, sorry, Susie, I just want to pick up on Jason mentioning podcasts there. Um, I know, so we've been talking very specifically about the one player guild because we've all, we're all members of it and, you know, that, that's how, how we all met the first time. Um, but I do know somebody else in my local group here, Frank, that was on, her guest on our episode last week. He never plays solo games. He's exclusively a, a social gamer, for want of a better word. 
Um, and when I first met him five years ago, every time that I, I met up with him, he said, oh, I've listened to this podcast, I've listened to that podcast. And that was how he was, uh, that was how he kept up with the board game world. Mm. About two years ago, or maybe six months before the, the pandemic, I spoke to him about, uh, I can't remember what the podcast was, and he said, oh, I've stopped listening to all podcasts now. And his reason for that was that they were all the same, basically. <laughs> Keeping up with new games was a chore. Mm-hmm. Um, he was fed up with, you know, top 10 lists and all the sort of the usual format of what 90% of the podcasts out there are. So it it's, isn't just a solo gamer problem. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I stopped listening to the Dice Tower podcast. Alright, I'm on the Dice Tower. I should probably not say that. <laughs> so, so, so right, Jason. No one listens to our podcast. No one listens. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I, cause, you know, when you first start, yeah, I, I listen to everything. You know, yeah. uh, Ludology and, you know, uh, onboard games and all these other yeah. different podcasts. And I was just, I was like, you know, cause it was new to me and yeah, I was getting yeah. that dopamine rush. And then you realize that like, I'm listening to this podcast and Tom and Eric are dear people. I've gotten to know them, you know, as people. Mm-hmm. Great. And, but like they're droning on about what I was saying about before, like the, the 17th iteration of a dungeon crawl, the 17th iteration yeah. of a, yeah. of a, of a, oh, but Jason, this one's got D8 instead of D6. It's better and more interesting. And it's got doors. It's actual, go- actual doors that they go through. <laughs> yes. And they have scantily clad women who are completely inappropriately attired oh, in the dungeon. Yeah. All of them. Yes. <laughs> With a tan. <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, yeah, I just wanted to come back to something that you had said mm. about um, the kind of the cycle, the one player guild cycle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we come in, hi, new person, totally excited to meet all these like minded mm-hmm. people. You blitz by games for like six months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you're playing them, and then you learn, oh, I should be logging my plays. And then you're posting mm-hmm. on solo, on solo player, solitaire games in your table. Yeah, and yeah. and you you sort of like you're going up this curve. <laughs> yeah, and then I'm not really sure when you peak, but everyone gets there, mm-hmm. and then everyone starts to feel that. I think that first lull. Yeah. So you know we've been talking about good or bad or healthy or unhealthy. Maybe Jason, tell me if it's okay. Maybe we could just say like, and even to answer one of your questions, Roger and, and Lee, lulls are normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all normal. You know, like every, it's part of the cycle, right? Sure. And if yeah. it's not, then I'm mental because I, I've had like. Well, I, I don't think those are mutually exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> um, fair enough. Uh, anyway, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I so think like, to, to your point. I mean, I use these terms; they sound a little bit judgmental. It's like, like put it this way: um, we talk about lulls. The lull is it's almost like the body setting off like a silent alarm. You know, it's like, you know, and alarms are healthy. Like we need alarms <laughs> in, in yeah. order to like, you know, do this, avoid that. That's kind of the science of human behavior is you want these signals. It's like, okay, I get anxious. Like uh, there's something in this environment to be anxious about. We say anxiety is bad, but it's not. It's actually kind of good signal that something's mm-hmm. wrong and go address it, you know. And so these lull periods or these, you know, kind of demotivated periods, they're basically like, okay, the body's telling you you've gotten too much dopamine from this thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you've kind of maxed out on how much dopamine you're going to get from playing a game or whatever. And now it's like time to seek it somewhere else. So it's a signal to the body and it's a good signal. Yeah. So then hopefully you do something different. Like, and that's kind of why I like being on podcasts like this because, you know, this is different. 
and I'm in the same space. I'm doing board games. I'm not playing one, mm-hmm. but I'm talking about one. And it inspires me. So, like, you know, I think Roger was talking about Sentinels before. It's like, ooh, I want to play Sentinels again. And so that that kind of interaction makes me get gives me a different look. So yeah. like I like the idea of like okay, negative feelings not as negative themselves, but like a signals to shake mm-hmm. it up, and then come back at it. You know, at, at at a later point. And I think yeah, like, again, just everybody's different. So that cycle is going to take different lengths of time for different people. They're mm-hmm. going to peak sooner or later. The lull might be for a longer or shorter amount of time. Yeah, it can be. But, but uh, the, we're also yeah. like, you know, you mentioned at the beginning me and my seasonal disorder. Yeah. Uh, which always seems to happen um, <laughs> in the in the summer. Um, and I've never thought about it in some of these terms. So it's good to, you know, hear Jason's thoughts and others. I just love we're calling it a disorder now, Gary. I'm calling it that, and I'm, I think I'm allowed to call it that. You guys need to maybe tiptoe around it a bit more. Um, anyway, um, but that happens every year, and, and I've never really thought about it, Like, but I probably am getting burned out by the summer, and just in the summer there's mm. stuff going on, lots of yeah. stuff. You can get I outside. Get outside, see more people, other things mm. take up. A, I've always just thought it's just getting more things thrown at me, more things that are shiny, that are different, so I'm going yeah. with them. But it probably is just my body just saying, like, go and enjoy all of that. So that in the winter, when you're sat there in board gaming, you, you're really enjoying it again? I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's that's what I think seems to happen with me. There's just so much, and my body does just, like, I don't know, it's also the weather. Do I want to be sat inside or do I want to be outside? Yeah. Board games, don't. a lot of them don't lend themselves to being played outside. Because I'm sure I would if, you know, stuff wouldn't blow away. You, you haven't got a, a giant one-player mage knight out in your garden? <laughs> and, and, if you, and if I did, Lee, do you think I would tell you? That's the thing. <laughs> I imagine you instruct your daughters to move around and go and seize the castle. <laughs> my, my daughters couldn't be less interested. They would, they would um, just be watching TikTok sat on, like, one of the, you know, one of the castles or something. I, I didn't burn down the police station. I was, I was just playing this game, you... <laughs> yeah, it was with cold fire, but um, you know. yeah, I've stopped having lols. Um, to be honest, I've just kind mm-hmm. of stopped playing. I, yeah. I don't know when you say when have you stopped playing and when is it a lol. I haven't played a solo game hmm, maybe a year, right? And I was Mage Knight, which was glorious, but mm-hmm. before that, I had not played. I think in a year, right. and. And I really, I blame video games mm. and my inherent laziness. <laughs> and it's working really well for me. If like, you, I, you love it, dis- I love it. If you lazy. call it a disordered, Susie, then I, people I will be sympathetic. You know? Sure, yeah. Yeah, I've been, very str- I've been struggling with this. Thank you for your empathy. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I've kind of... Re- it, to me, it's all gaming. I don't... Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand that board games and video games are different. But it's, you know, engaging in a different world. It's almost yeah. like reading a book in many ways. Some video games are like reading. Some are, are more active. But, mm-hmm. but to me, it's, it, it really kind of hits the same dopamine relax or I don't know the right terms, Jason. I'm going to sound mm-hmm. dumb now. Um, but whatever you do when like your mind kind of goes into Zen mode where you're sort of like yeah. you're somewhere else, you're, you're really focused on this game and you're, mm. your mind just relaxes. You know, you just kind of forget the day. That's yeah. what board games are always for me, like an escape, but like in a in a really productive way. Mm-hmm. And yeah. video games do the same thing for me. 
So yeah. I feel like I haven't lost. I've just morphed. I think you're talking about flow state. So you're getting to this flow state where, like- yeah, I mean, like we're always calculating. We're always, you know, looking at cause and effect and time and things I got to do and get distracted. And mm. like that, that, those part of our brains kind of like buzz, 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 buzz throughout the day. And games represent us the best thing they do, I think, other than the social part. But like in terms of the flow, like you, you shut so many of those parts of your brain off and you know you've had a good time. And Mage Knight is probably the best with this. That's probably why it's so <laughs> popular. Like you get a game of Mage Knight, you're in it. And then you've stormed the castle and it's like seven hours have passed or however long it's taken. <laughs> and you yeah. notice. It's like, oh my God, I got to yeah. go potty now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm starving. Why am I so hungry? Yes, exactly. And that's the best that they can do. And so it's like it, it, in a way – we're seeking that high of like, you know, I remember when games were like, what gave me that gave or when a big game of Mage Knight. Cause I remember when I first started, it was for me, it was Mage Knight, Pandemic, sometimes a multiverse, um, mm-hmm. Space Alert. There was a bunch of them, like a, like a canon for me that just yeah. like, I was so enthusiastic and I would get in my flow state. Mm-hmm. And you know, like any, I don't want to compare it to like an illicit drug or anything like that, but that's kind of how the brain deals with dopamine. Like, you know, the, the or, or deals with these neurochemicals, I should say, just we'll say mm-hmm. more of them, uh, that promote this flow state. Like we, we are chasing after it. And after a while, it gets tiring because it gets harder and harder to achieve. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, I, I don't want to say, okay, I'm, I'm, this is where I'm struggling. I don't want to say like it's chasing a high, uh, mm-hmm. cause it's not a high. Like flow states are awesome. Like they, they are so prized and when we can get them, they're great. And that's what mm-hmm. board games can do for us. And I think like, uh, it, it, the the flow state of a board game is actually a little bit deeper and richer than in a lot of video games. Like, because there can be like a negative flow state where it's like our brain is off, but like all the good stuff mm-hmm. is off too. Yeah. You know, when we're not like lit up and making interesting decisions, we're just kind of like in a shutdown mode. Like flow state mm-hmm. is not the same thing as shutdown mode. And I think like with how hard life is, how hard the pandemic has been, it's easier to get in that shutdown mode with a video game. Yeah. And people need it. You need something. But I don't I, I personally don't find that richness from solving puzzles and using my act, act, imagination actively than and then if I'm into a good board game. Yeah, I think that makes sense to me. I, I think part part of and then yeah, not the only reason for but part of the the board game line I've been experiencing in recent months is just the lack of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've uh, almost a year ago I started a new business, so I've had so much energy focused on that and on the other important parts of life that all of us have to deal with. That actually having enough energy to 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 use an active. Um, relaxation in the evening, playing a board game, engaging myself in that way is more difficult than just collapsing on the sofa, watching television, playing a, a game on my mobile phone, whatever it is. As you say, that's just shutting down, switching off. It's not taking any brain power. Mm-hmm. I, I'm finding it really interesting to hear this because I'm coming at this from a slightly different angle, I think. Uh, because I'm a programmer and I've been a programmer for a while, flow state is, is a key part of where I live anyway. Yeah, I, I will. I will get that at work every day, if I'm doing that sort of thing. What I'm after in a board game, and I think I've mentioned this briefly in the podcast before, is the socialising and the the physical bits rather than just typing stuff into a keyboard. So for me, a video game isn't going to do that. Uh, 
mm. because I, I mostly it's not socializing, but also it's at the same keyboard where I'm spending all my time anyway. I, I step yeah. away from that. I, I get the actual bits out as a solo game and that, that works very well. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely something very satisfying about playing with all the little bits. Yeah. Bring them on the table, moving them around and organizing them. I love to organize them. <laughs> Put them all in the little boxes, buy the little boxes, store them in the boxes, then store the game. Don't play it for a year. But they're all in the tiny boxes. Um, it's interesting, Roger. I get into flow state uh, with what I do as well at work on my microscope. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, but to me, I don't know. I don't know. A, a console video game doesn't feel like sitting at a computer to me. So it, I can still go to flow state in a different mm-hmm. way with the video game. But, but I do agree with you. There is something wonderful about that tactile-ness mm-hmm. of, of a board game on your table. Yeah. You can get there many different ways. I don't want to like, I don't want to say mm-hmm. board games and video games are better. I don't want to get into that whole discussion. I think like <laughs> um, the, the idea of, and cause the thing with board game, you have to be active. Like you have to do it, yeah. you know, and there's that tactile feedback as Susie was saying. And then there's the, um, you know, like shuffling the cards and, you know, restating things like when a board, when a video game makes that too easy, you know, and there's, there's a way in which like it can make it too easy. There's a passivity there. Right. So like, you know, I think people really thought that video game, like board game adaptations on iOS were going to like really blow up and like, oh. you know, in some ways kind of replace board games. Mm-hmm. That's always been the fear. Like whenever an app based board game, Oh my God, they're coming, they're coming to take away my board games. Da, da, da. And it'll never do it. <laughs> like it can, I think we've settled into this idea that like the app adaptations and the, the app, it, like that all is supplemental. Mm. And that's good. You know, I, I, because board games are going to just, uh, you know, provide something that, that no other medium can provide. I think that like circling back to where we started, like mm. the barriers of setting up the game and the barriers of learning all these new rule sets. Yeah. The mm-hmm. worst part of board gaming is learning the rule sets for me. Mm. I can't. That, 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 more than anything we've talked about, and I'm I'm sorry we're getting to this near the end. Uh, (laughs) I think the, like, learning, constantly learning new rule sets burns me out. And constantly remembering them is impossible. (laughs) Especially going back to games, forget it. I play a lot of two player games with my husband, and and he'll be like, I want to play a game tonight. I'm like, all right, go downstairs and pick out a game. And he picks one out, I'm like, oh, not that one. He's like, why? I'm like, because I can't remember how to play it. I, I'm going to have to refresh the rules, and I just don't have it in me to do that. So that's that's really funny. The, I, I guess that's what one thing that does make video games easier is the video game will often remind you, like, you can't do something wrong. Or my husband and I will right. play games on Board Game Arena during the day, just as a, you know, like when you have mm-hmm. a quick break or something. And sometimes if I really want to relearn a game, we just play it there because you can't mess up. but man the rule sets can be daunting well it's it's i'm literally going this afternoon after this to play well some beers but also to play some games with some non-gamers but they they said Mm -hmm. bring some ball games because it'll you know it'll be fun and i'm literally thinking about the games that like you say it's the remembering remembering the rules and then it's not just because i'm mostly a solo game i've then got to remember are the rules the same for the solo game (laughs) as the multiplayer so when i come to try and explain them Will I be talking gibberish to what we're actually going to do? Um, I'm like, oh, God. So now I'm going to go downstairs after this and try and pick something that I can explain quickly that they can pick Monopoly. up. Uh, yeah, obviously it'd be 
Three <laughs> versions. Ask you for a and the game set Newcastle version, the traditional version, the Star Wars version, <laughs> whatever. But, um, we'll play all of those. No, but um, yeah, so I'm literally already in that sort of, oh my God, what can I take? Which, which what, yeah. what like handful will also be interesting enough? Because like a lot of them go, we want something with a bit of strategy, not where it's luck based. So right. that's then like, mm-hmm. oh God, now you're asking for, for stuff that's strategy based, but not too much of a rule set. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Anyway. Okay. Well, so that, I mean, I... yeah, that, that's why you have Carcassonne, Catan, Ticket to Ride, Pandemic. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah, so I think we're, we're reaching the end of what we were talking about. Um, important message, I think, is that board game laws are natural, important, and you shouldn't worry about them if you're experiencing one. Is that fair? Definitely. Yeah, and, and be willing to do different stuff to, kind of get get your love back to rekindle like because that's the other aspect of it like you know it, like one is acceptance right accept that laws are natural accept that you're not bad for having a lull or you're missing out or like i mean to try to cleanse yourself of these negative feelings that's the first thing like you can't yeah. fill the glass with clean water unless you dump out the dirty water and so it's like dumping out the dirty water of guilt of fomo of all these kind of pressure guilt aspects and then, you know, your body is giving you a, a positive signal to do something else or do it in a different way. Like, you know, I love when Susie was talking about rearranging the, the components and, you know, uh, reordering stuff. And like, you know, you can experience your board games in a different way or just do something else and do, do a video game, take a walk, mm-hmm. whatever. And, you know, find and to the ultimate point of like rekindling this thing, you know, have a conversation. This was great. I love this. I love hearing from people. Uh, and that can rekindle stuff. Like do what you love in a different way from a different angle. Get something new in there. And then maybe that love of actually setting up the game, learning the rules and playing it will come back. Thanks, Jason. I think that summed it up really well. Does anybody feel the need to add anything to that? No. no. Whatever I say would just sound very unintelligent. Hey. <laughs> Gary, I'm here for that job. You're not allowed to take my Sorry, job. I job I'll try. I'll try hard. <laughs> okay. Um, well, thank you all very much for joining us. If we just go around and uh, let you plug anything you want to to plug at this point and remind people who you are, uh, Jason. I am from the Shelf Stories YouTube channel. Please go ahead and visit me on Shelf Stories. Uh, that's where I have my above the table editorial conversations about gamers and that, why, why Lee reached out to me. Thank you very much, Lee, for reaching out. I have about the health stuff on there as well as, you know, culture and history. Yeah. Um, and, you know, every year you'll see me, uh, me and Kevin are bound to do it. As long as Kevin's going to do it, I will do the, <laughs> um, the commentary episodes, which are my, among my more popular episodes of the, my link to the, to the one player guild. Uh, and I really hope that people appreciate that and continue to contribute. Yeah, we do. Gary? I haven't really got anything to plug because I don't really do anything. But um, if anybody from the UK, <laughs> uh, if anybody from the UK is listening, if you're going to be at the UK Games Expo in June, I'd love to meet up with anybody <laughs> who wants to come and game. That'd be great. And Susie? Yeah, like Gary, I have not. I don't even have that to plug. I don't even have anything to edit out to, to plug. Um, but thanks for having me. It was real fun to talk to you guys about games. Thanks, Susie, and thanks to all of you for joining thanks us. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank yeah. you. That's uh, all we've had this month. Thanks very much for listening to More Games in Time. Yeah. If you want to support the show, we do have merchandise available to buy, including 
Did you know this, Roger? There are more games than Time Clock. Ooh, shiny. <laughs> now we can we can all look at the time and think about how we have more games than time. Maybe it ought to rub backwards or double speed or something. <laughs> anyway. I think it's just stopped. <laughs> <laughs> and we hope to be back next month. Thanks, guys. Thanks.